Well, it's a dark, dreary, drizzly fall day, isn't it? But it's a great day to be in church. No matter what the weather is, no matter what the seasons bring to us, this is always a great place to be. So we're thankful to be here today in the Fellowship of the Spirit and opening up the Word of God. The title of my sermon today as we look at a passage of Thessalonians is we need to be alert, we need to be sober, and we need to be encouragers. And we, we place ourselves in the book of Acts where on the dusty roads around Macedonia. Paul got a call to go to Macedonia. And he ended up, first of all, going to Philippi. And in Philippi, he started to make inroads with the gospel, but there was pretty soon there was a lot of opposition towards Paul. He first met a, a woman named Lydia, and Lydia and her household were saved. And Nathan, they were baptized, every one of them. And then Paul got into trouble. He was in prison. Of course, we've seen him singing hymns in prison. What happened? The Philippian jailer was saved, and his household were saved. And then Paul was, was sent off away from Philippi, and he ended up going to Thessal Thessalonica. And so I'd like to place ourselves as well in Thessalonica. What's important to the gospel? What is it important for the church to know? He was three Sabbath days in Thessalonica. How would you like to spend three weeks with Paul? Would you sign up for that conference? At Heritage College, three weeks with the Apostle Paul, just a quick seminary course. His teaching in Thessalonica was so powerful, so comprehensive, and he, he taught them what they needed to know to be a healthy, vibrant church. All through the, the book, we, we see this phrase, as you know, he says when he writes this letter to them, you yourselves know, you remember this as you were taught. So this is something we find in this short little few pages of this book of Thessalonians, what's really, really important. For instance, uh, in chapter 3, he says this, that no one be moved by the afflictions. Thessalonian church were under affliction, knowing that you were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. In chapter 2, he says, you know what we were like among you, like a father with his children, we encourage you. In chapter 4, you know the instructions we gave to you. That's when he made his appeal towards holiness, how to live holy. And of course, the theme of the second coming is all through this book. How important it is for the church to know Jesus is coming again. In his closing comments of every chapter in this book. And then in the heart of the letter that we're going to look at today, the church has more questions. We need to know things that, that, that are concerning us. So it's kind of like periodically we have in our church here, it's ask an elder night. What would you like to ask one of our elders? Well, similarly, what I said earlier, how would you like to have ask an apostle night? They were had these questions for Paul. Guaranteed the answer will be right. When you ask an apostle, bring any question you have, none are too elementary. And in a way, it's what we do every time we open this New Testament and these epistles. We're asking the apostles, asking Paul, what's important? And when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, make sure this letter is read to Laodiceans. Make sure Laodiceans read the letter I wrote to you, or the, you read, read the one that I wrote to Laodicea. And so all these epistles are important for us to have the questions of our heart answered. The first question they asked of, uh, Matt was preaching in early chapter 4, was what about brotherly love? 
in these times of testing. And Paul says it shouldn't decrease, it should increase and abound more and more, just as you were taught. And then when Stephen was sharing the first, uh, the last part of chapter 4, what about the believers who have died? So he starts out with that, I don't want you to be uninformed, he said. I want you to know that the dead in Christ will rise first. We are alive, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall ever be with the Lord. And the third question, they were wondering about the coming of Lord Jesus Christ in judgment. What is going to happen at the day of the Lord? When will it come? How will we prepare? And that's where we find ourselves this morning. If we open up the First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read what, how Paul addresses this third question, page 987 in your pew Bibles. Let's stand together and hear what Holy Scripture says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains that come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as we pray. Heavenly Father, bring our hearts this morning into the light of your love and grace. Encourage us in the truth of things present and things to come. In the name of the one who was and who is and who is to come, we pray. Amen. Well, in our sermon this morning, we're going to look at five things we need to know from these 11 verses. And the first one I'll spend a little bit more time on is we need to know that the day of the Lord is coming, verses 1 to 3 of this passage. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures in a minute, and we'll turn to them. But to start, uh, we read right at the start there, Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that this day will come. And as well as the timing of it, there's no need to write to you because you are aware that we are not to know the time. The disciples in Acts chapter 1 said, Lord, just before his ascension, uh, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Jesus himself said, concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So the day of the Lord is coming, 
And the church that Paul prepared in the knowledge they needed, they were fully aware that it was coming. It's an essential knowledge for the church. So I want to read a couple of passages. Verse 576 in the Pew Bible is in Isaiah 13. The day of the Lord was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. This is a passage, as we went through Isaiah a while back, that the prophet is speaking against Babylon. So I'd like to read a few verses, 6 to 11, of this passage, that we might get a feel for what the day of the Lord is all about. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. So this was the day of the Lord, looking at the judgment and devastation that was going to come and God's wrath upon Babylon. The city was with all its... It's a uh, self-religion and immorality. And then if we go to the minor prophets in Zephaniah, verse 788, or page 788, <laughs> that'll be a long chapter. Uh, page 788 in your pew Bible, the book of Zephaniah. If you hit Zechariah, you went too far. I'm reading in chapter 1. Now, this is a prophecy of Zephaniah to the people of Judah. And here's what he writes in verses 14 to 18. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither silver or gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So we see this, this template, what the day of the Lord's going to look like, foreshadowing in the Old Testament against Babylon and then against Judah and the prophets. And if we go into this, these letters to the Thessalonians, one last reading, in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, it's just a page over from where we are in 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God 
and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So the day of the Lord is a very prominent theme in both Old and New Testament through the major and minor prophets and now into these writings of the epistles. And as we look at this first section, verses 1 to 3 of Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, we're seeing whom, upon whom does this wrath fall. It says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. And we know that these people are, are recognized in this book as those who do not know God, who are looking for peace and security apart from God. Peace and security on their own terms. A godless peace. A man-made peace, like a modern-day Pax Romana, which talked about a 200-year period where there was stability in Rome, this Pax Romana, this peace that could come through a human government. A man-exalting peace, like the Tower of Babel 2.0. This is men in that day, in these last days, saying we have peace and security, and we're going to find it apart from God. A godless peace, like in the Star Wars movie, when the, the empire, the evil empire says, we're going to bring peace to the galaxy. Peace without God, peace without the cross. And God will have none of it. He says to his, his prophet Jeremiah that, the, that for Jerusalem, before its exile, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn and they take no pleasure in it. I am full of the wrath of the Lord. He said, I'm weary with them. He said, their prophets and their priests are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Judgment comes upon those who depart from God, who turn away from him, who do not know him. And how will it come? We read in this passage, the day of the Lord will come, first of all, like a thief in the night, sudden, unexpected, no advance notice. Now we get a lot of calls with different things on our phone at home, but we've never had one that says, I'm a thief, I'm going to be in your area mid midweek next week. <laughs> I might show up at your home on Wednesday. No, thieves don't do that. We will not know this day. Like the Hamas attack on a specific day, October 7, 2023. A sudden, unexpected attack. Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. Horrific, devastating. Coming unexpected, suddenly. Like a thief in the night will come the day of the Lord. And then like labor pains. Sudden, unavoidable, and inescapable. And, and it will come, it, Jesus says this, like in the days of Noah, they were eating, drinking, giving in marriage. And on the day, I love this word day in this passage, the day of the Lord, on the day Noah entered the ark, the floods came and swept them away. And then he talks about in Luke 17, as in the days of Lot, Lot the same around Sodom, building and planting, eating and drinking. But on the day that Lot was taken out of Sodom, fire and brimstone came. And Jesus said, so it will be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. The Son of Man coming in judgment, judging the world in righteousness. And this coming judgment calls for a response from us. 
Right after Paul went from Philippi to Thessalonica, he went to Berea, and opposition kept pushing him through Macedonia, and finally he ended up in Athens all alone. So what was Paul doing in Athens? Talking about the gospel. And when he met in the Areopagus with all the scholars of the day in Athens, he was saying to them in his concluding remarks, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but he has commanded all men everywhere to repent. For he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and by this he has given assurance to every one of us by raising him from the dead. And in Athens, when some heard that, oh, raising from the dead, well, they were mocking Paul. And others said, well, we'll talk to you again on this matter. But do you know what? Some joined him, joined the church, and believed So I would say, what is your response with even just the thought of this first point of the sermon? The day of the Lord is coming, a day of wrath on those who oppose him, who reject him. The day who turn away from the gospel. Would you believe and worship Christ? Is that what the Spirit of God is leading you to do today? At the end of John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides, abides on them. The beautiful chapter in John 3, John 3, 16, God loved the world. He gave his son, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. So closing statement in this first section, verses 1 to 3, what we need to know, we need to know the day of the Lord is coming. Those who confess Jesus as Lord need not fear the day of the Lord. And then we go down to verses 4 and 5. We need to know who we are. But you're not in the darkness, brothers, or brothers and sisters is actually what that word means, for that day to surprise you, for you're children of light. So we need to know who we are as Christians. We're not in the darkness, not of the darkness, not loving darkness, not of the night. Not those who suppress truth and unrighteousness or exchange truth for a lie, who don't worship God, or not with an evil heart of unbelief that in chapter 2, Paul was talking about opposition, who the Jews who actually opposed the church in Jerusalem killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets And drove us out, displeased God, opposed to all mankind, and and are opposing the gospel of grace. So look at that opposition that's coming from the darkness. But we are not like that. We are children of the light, children of the day. So God has adopted us in love, hasn't he? Ephesians 1, we were in Sunday school class this morning. We're looking at the blessings of Christ In love, he has adopted us as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself. So we are children of God. And Ephesians talks about at one time we were children of wrath in chapter 2, but now we're children of the light. We're children of God. God has brought us from darkness to light. In John chapter 1, it says, The true light has come into the world, and the darkness did not overcome it. So the light of Christ that is in his church, that is in our hearts, the true light has come in, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It's the same word as that day will not surprise you, church. You who are not of the darkness, it will not overtake you. The darkness cannot overtake 
the true light of the world, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the light of the world. And he also tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the light of the world. Children of light, children of the day are meant to shine. We are now light in the Lord, we who were once darkness. So what are we to do? We're to find out what the fruit of the light is, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And that light still pierces the darkness, the light of the gospel. When the true light came into the world, Jesus came into the darkness, the darkness could not overcome it, so our gospel will be prospering. That's the mission of the church. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and your righteousness and glorify God, our Father in heaven. For God did, he did not love the world. He demonstrates in, in the, his love that while we were still sinners, while we were in darkness, Christ died for us. I love one statement I read. It says, he still loves those who don't love him. God still loves those who don't love him. Christ coming with the love of God to us, to enemies, to those who are deserving of wrath. So number two, we need to know who we are. And then thirdly, we need to know how to live. In verses six to eight of this passage, we need to know how to live. And this is a wonderful theme of sanctification in this book of Thessalonians, that we're more and more love and more and more walking in righteousness, that we're, let it increase, let it abound. And so how do we live? It's, it's we're to live as children of light, putting off the darkness. So we're, Paul as well says, let us not sleep, he said in verse 6, as others do. You know, that's a few times in this passage, he said, like the Gentiles who follow the lust of their flesh when he called us towards holiness. And how are we going to grieve when people die that know the Lord in our midst? We're not going to grieve as others do who have no hope. The church grieves in hope. The church walks in holiness. We're not sleeping as others do. But he says that those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But we're of the day. We're of the light. We are very, very distinct from the world. So let us keep awake. The right solution then to their earlier question is not to know the future time of judgment, but right now stay alert, alert as we wait in the present. If you remember an analogy uh, Matt had a few weeks back, he says that when he's driving the car and he's got his precious family in the car, he said sometimes he might see a bird or some kind of a something fly by, and he says where you look is where you go. But I'd like to take that one step further. It's even worse if you're not looking at all. The, the, um, that, this has happened to me a few times. I wasn't going to tell this story, but this is years back. I was driving on the 401. It was late. I was tired. I remember seeing a couple of hitchhikers about a kilometer down the road. And then the last thing I knew when I woke up, they were diving for the ditch. And it was, I was, remember thinking, this is crazy. I fell asleep. So when Barb and I take trips now, I say, Barb, keep an eye on me. I got this penchant for nodding off. Barb, make sure that I stay awake. So we're to, we're to keep awake. We're not like those who sleep. We're to keep awake and be sober. 
We have turned to God from serving idols, and now we're waiting for his son from heaven. And while we wait, this one person wrote this, live out what is already true. This is how to live. Here's who we are. This is true. We're in Christ. We're in the light now. Live that out. Act what you are. This is Jesus in Matthew 24. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day the Lord is coming. Therefore, you must also be ready. So how are we to live? While we're waiting, we're preparing, we're being ready. And the key phrase here, what she says twice in these verses 6 to 8, is let us be sober. We belong to the day. We sang that today and that we belong to the Lord. And, and that's a little bit, again, who we are. Who we are in Christ. That point number two is we belong to the Lord. So let us, how should we live? Be sober. And I think that's really similar to saying, let's become a Baptist. These sober-minded Baptists. We need to become a Baptist. Actually, not. That's not really what we need to be. But there is a sense of being sober, isn't it? Being somewhat subdued before the Lord because this day is coming. And why should we be sober? Because of the devastation that is to come. Because what we knew happened in Old Testament times to Babylon and then the exile to Judah in Jeremiah's day, the horrendous destruction of Jerusalem. And we need, we need to know that's coming. So we need to be sober because on one day in the future, at a time we don't know, Christ is returning. In wrath, a cruel day, a wrathful day, pouring judgment on all those who have rejected him. And that's another reason to be sober, because how many people are and have rejected Christ? Here's the, the true lights come into the world, but yet men have loved darkness, and they're rejecting over and over again the Savior. They're choosing to live apart from Christ, and that is a sober, sober thought. It's sober because of the cross. We need to be sober knowing that this is what Christ, how he suffered and died so that we might not be delivered to wrath. That wrath is not going to be our future because Christ has come and died for us. So we're sober thinking about the cross. We're sober thinking that we're saved by grace alone. Nothing we can do is all in Christ's finished work. Does that not cause us to be sober? So sober with devastation coming. Sober because people are rejecting and have rejected Christ. Sober as we think of this cross and its suffering, the darkness of the cross. Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The disciple Peter. In Acts chapter 1, where was Peter? He was there with Jesus. And they saw Jesus ascend in the clouds. And angels were saying to them, this visible, physical ascension, he's going to come again the same way that you saw him go. So Peter, who knew the Lord, was a witness to his death and resurrection. He says in his letter that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. And he says also because of spiritual warfare, he said, be sober and vigilant for your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we're in a spiritual warfare and, and the end of all things. So be serious. Brothers and sisters, let us be sober. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Those who sleep, sleep at night. But we're of the day. And like the Thessalonian church here, God wants us to know specific things about eternity, about the future. And it should cause us to be really, really serious about our Christian walk. 
And, and the part of this section then closes up, therefore we need armor. Look at that. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I visited my, uh, my brother this week. I went down and needed to chat with him about something, and, and dad was there, and what do you think the plaque was up on my brother Wayne's wall? Faith, hope, love. Raise your hand if that's in your home somewhere. Thank you very much. Thank you. There's one, one in the back. Okay. <laughs> and do you know what? I went home to our place, and do you know what? I see it every day, but there it is up above our sliding glass door, faith, hope, and love. Where do we see it in Scripture? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient kind, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. So what, what abides? Faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. And in this epistle, how did Paul start when he was thanking the Thessalonians for what they were doing? I'm thankful for your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. This church, what's the armor? Faith. Walking by faith, loving one another and doing it more and more, and this steadfastness of hope. So what's our, our armor that is on over our hearts and over our minds is we're going to walk by faith. If you want to turn to Romans 13, I'm going to read a few verses in Romans 13 just to close off this section. We need to know how to live. Romans 13 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So put on Christ. So number four of things we need to know, we need to know the gospel. Verses 9 and 10 in our passage for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So regardless of our eschatology, when we feel the rapture might be, when we feel the Lord might return, this gospel deliverance from wrath, and this gospel that Jesus died for us that we might live, that we might live with him. So whether we're awake or asleep or regardless of everything, we know for sure that Jesus died and he come that we might live. So I, I, that is a beautiful gospel sentence, isn't it? Jesus died for us that we might live for him. You wonder why did Jesus come? He died that we might live and that we might live with him. So this is the gospel. Matt actually read it in his call to worship, that we have this living hope now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and now we're kept by the power of God, what for salvation that is to, be, that is to come. Salvation that will be revealed in the last time. 
So yes, through Christ's death, we have been justified. And through the work of the Spirit, we're sanctified. But one day we will be glorified. This gospel, we need to know the gospel, that we have eternal life. We're to live for Jesus right now. And because he died for us, we can live with him. John Tavares of the Maple Leafs had a young player come to his team, Matthew Nyes. He said, Matthew, I want you to come and live with me. They had a young rookie this year, Fraser Minton, coming in from, from the West. And John said, hey, we got room for you in our home too. I think of different instances in our church where people have opened their homes to people that need a place to live. We're coming and living. Well, Jesus has come, and he says, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to come and receive you to myself that you might live with me. We have a home with the Lord. And it's an amazing thought, isn't it? I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And when I come again, I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be with me. So we need to know this gospel. We need to know the glory of the gospel, whether we awake or sleep. And this is a little bit different. We're talking about being awake spiritually earlier in this passage or being sleeping at night, which is in the darkness. But now we're going back to uh, that earlier passage in chapter 4. And I think it's like that Philippians verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Whether we're awake right now living in Christ or whether we're asleep, Christians who have fallen asleep, to die is gain, that we might actually live with him. And what is that same encouragement at the end of chapter 4 and of verse 11? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Encourage one another here in chapter 5, verse 11, because we're going to live with him. What encouragement has God given the church? This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame and he bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Whether we awake or asleep, we're forgiven. We're his. We're children of the day. We will always be with the Lord. And that's my last point. We need to know that we need each other. It's a we in this passage, isn't it? Paul started up there in verse 5. He said, you're the children of the light. But then he, he got to say, we're, we are not, and let us not sleep. And, and God has not destined us for wrath. So together, we, are, we, we have the encouragement of, this, of the gospel, encouragement of the word of God, um, Utah and I were able to attend a funeral recently. It was uh, Dave Brubecker's mom. And, and the pastor who knew her well said, I just want to bring two one another verses to you about Ann Brubaker. Encourage one another, pray for one another. He said, there's lots of one another verses, but he said, that's what I think the most about her. So you need a grandmother and a mother of encouraging her family. They were spending time with them. The grandkids would come up and tell stories about Grandma reading to us and encouraging and doing stuff around the house together. And it was just made them feel so good. So encouragement, according to this, encourage one another and build one another up is like a building program. A build each other up program. That's what we're doing at church, week by week, day by day, ministry by ministry, building each other up in the Lord, in the gospel. And how did this church do it? Verse 418, encourage one another with these words. So this church was doing it as we are called to do it with the word of God. 
And we encourage through faithfulness. We're not sleeping. We're, we're being sober. We're walking by faith. We encourage as a family. Do you know how often I highlighted in this letter with a certain color every time Paul says brothers, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters? We're a family. And Paul wanted them to know we're in this together. Can you think of times of affliction in Thessalonica, how much they needed each other to continually encourage one another with the word of God, with the things they knew, the things they were taught, and encouraging through thanksgiving and prayer, seeking to please God, not men, encouragement through submission to one another, through the joy of the Holy Spirit. When we go through grief and we buffet that with hope, that's encouraging when, when we go through times of hard labor and people are working and serving here, it's a labor of love. What encouragement we have in the church. So just in closing, I, I'm so encouraged to be part of this church family. I speak on behalf of my family. There's been so much blessing here, walking side by side with you and getting to know one another and, and building one another up. And we all go through different times where we really need that, don't we? Some of us today just needing that encouragement. And I think this is a church strong in the word, strong in love. And the, and the message that we live with one thing in this book, in these last two chapters, that we need to be encouraging one another and building one another up. It says, just as you're doing. And Maple Avenue, I love Utah's first sermon this passage. He talked about the, what this church inspires him. When think about a work of faith, and now at the end of this sermon, I think the same. We are in a beautiful building program here spiritually at Maple Avenue. And I th I'm thankful for how God is working on my heart, working on your hearts. And what can we do but give thanks to him? So Maple Avenue, keep it up. Do it more and more. It's a wonderful command to be obeying. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this day and how valuable this day is, a day to hear from you to be encouraged by your word and a day to encourage a brother or sister who might be feeling low today. So Lord, give us an opportunity after this service sometime today to encourage someone with the word, with a time of prayer, steadfast in hope because we have a wonderful salvation. So Father, I thank you for each person here today and the love that we have for one another. In your name I pray, amen.